0: Namo itasah bhagavatu varatu sammasambhutasah. Namah itasah bhagavatu varatu sammasambhutasah. Namah itasah sangang namasami. Uh, The person who picked me up at the bus station, we went for a walk after I dropped my luggage off. and We went down the street and saw the flowers emerging. And, you know, this is kind of the first few days that I've been able to walk around without a hat on and wool socks. And I have this long fleecy thing that usually I live in from October until May. And this is March, and I took it off, which is like really celebration time. And as we're walking, you know, we can just see these flowers bursting through the ground and they're incredible colour. Spectacular colour. Against the dry leaves of the stuff that had died in the autumn and against the earth colours and so into the emergence of life. And I can see myself being pulled into the joy of the colour and the joy of the emerging warmth and spring and the vitality and life that comes with it. And so it's an interesting um, uh, contrast because the the theme of the talk that I wanted to speak on tonight was um, suffering. And when you're walking down the street and you see these beautiful flowers, it's like, where's the suffering? You know, where can you find it? What I wanted to speak about was that, you know, the Buddha, he said, you know, I teach two things. I teach suffering and the end of suffering. And he was very explicit in being able to help focus attention so that we could see um, the unsatisfactory nature of things that often we take as pleasant or lasting or mm, imbue our own identity in. And this is not meant to be kind of like a sour grapes wet blanket, you know, life is a bummer um, philosophy. It's meant to be a, a, a telling description about how sometimes we get into the mess that we're in and, and how that happens. And the whole point for looking at that is just really one reason which is to understand how to let it end. You know? So the point of understanding suffering is to come to the realization of the end of suffering. That's the point. So the Buddha um, had a way of describing the cause of suffering where he was talking about Um, the conditions that came together in order for suffering to be the result. And there's 12 links, and some of them are not at all intuitive. They don't make a whole lot of intuitive sense. And some of them seem to be easy or fairly easy to grasp. And so when we start the cycle with ignorance being the primary cause, which is shaping the way that we are looking at things, then it tends to follow a certain result. And that result is is that when we experience life, whatever it is that we're experiencing, the many different kinds of things that we have to deal with, Then what comes as a result of contact with anything, with a sight or a sound or a thought or a memory or a body sensation, is a feeling. And with that feeling, they usually come in different kinds. You know, feeling can be pleasant feeling or neutral feeling or unpleasant feeling. But when ignorance is present in the cycle, then what happens with these feelings is is that we want what we like and we want to get rid of what we don't like. And we space out or zone out or disappear or numb out with the stuff that's neutral. And then when we have these kind of normal everyday reactions to what happens with contact, then it builds more craving, and that craving builds thirst, and that thirst leads to rebirth or to a new way of being with all of this stuff, okay? So, we just, few of us met at Stella's before coming here, okay? Okay. And I noticed that there was some energy around this white, fluffy cake that was in the in the in the display counter. So you know, we were all there for tea, and there was some comments and some curiosity and some uh, vitality that was 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 in the conversation about this cake. And so. The cake was seen, and the seeing of it brought this pleasant feeling. And then there's an interest to, well, what about the cake? But nobody bought a piece. So they all were able to navigate the contact and the pleasant feeling without the birth of, oh, I have to have one. Okay? But oftentimes, what happens when we're in contact with something pleasant is, is that we feel like we lose the choice about whether or not we actually have to have one, or have to get rid of one, or can stay present when it's actually quite neutral, you know. So, I, you know, my own personal conditioning was I. I have been a bliss junkie, you know. For me, I like to squeeze pleasure out of nothing and absorb into it and lose myself in it. And if anything was normal and just ordinary, I was like desperate, you know. I was totally depressed. And I realized... I don't know how long it took for me to realize that this was not a recipe for contentment. (laughs) This was a recipe for getting high and then crashing. (laughs) Because I would look for pleasure in things, and then when I couldn't find it, or stuff was just the way life is a lot of the time, you know, I found it intolerable. So for me, learning how to... Just stay present with ordinary contact, like the touch of the feet on the ground, or the wind brushing my face, or cloth against my skin, or the movement of the hand on a doorknob, or lifting up a glass, you know, and not zoning out and looking for the pleasant thing, or the fantastic thing, or the extraordinary thing, or the insightful thing. But just being pleasant, present with that meant that over quite a long period of time I began to feel more a sense of fullness with just living rather than looking for life to be a particular way in order to feel a fullness. Okay, So... Now, each of us are going to have our own mechanisms, you know, and there's going to be things that we collapse around and things that we fall into and things that really get us revved up and angry and furious. And, you know, what we need to learn how to do is to stay present with our own mechanisms and to see that life has a way of bringing us the things that we need to work on in order to continue to test and refine our choices, okay? So the cycle goes, we've got ignorance, and then there's there's some things that are not so intuitive to understand, and then there's contact, and then with contact there's feeling, and with feeling there is craving, with craving there is a thirst, with the thirst there's a birth, and we can see this is not only just about having babies, this is about what we do with our thoughts. You know? The way we think can lead into a birth of a whole mind state. Okay? We can see that coming through that way. And then once there's birth, there's old age, sickness, and death. And death is suffering. Okay? And so when we have how got ourselves into this cycle, then we end up Back again at death, and death is painful, and suffering then brings us to the next choice. And the next choice is is that when we're suffering, do we move towards the things which are our habits around suffering? To placate suffering? To distract ourselves from suffering? To give ourselves pleasure instead of feeling the suffering? which all cause more suffering or do we gather the courage and the intention and the factors that are needed in order to then allow the suffering to be a platform for investigation for discernment for faith, for conviction for insight and for letting go And there's a choice. At every moment of suffering, we have that choice. We can fly ourselves back into the wheel again, or we can use the suffering that we're experiencing in order to say, there's been enough suffering. There has been enough suffering. What is the way out of suffering? So when we're in a place of sorrow or suffering or challenge or grief or loss or something has gone through a cycle and is finished, you know, many of us loop into, I'm effectively useless. You know, we turn it back into a kind of self-hatred loop that repeats itself. This is another suffering. This is not furthering, it's not liberating, it doesn't give any insight into how we got in the, there in the first place and how we can get out of there. Another habit pattern that some of us have is, is, is to absorb our attention into something which is pleasant or distracting so that we don't have to actually attend to what it is that we're feeling. And we have 10,000 varieties, or a million varieties, or a billion varieties. But the basic theme is not to be here now. (laughs) You know, and addictions fall into that. Substances fall into that. Sexuality falls into that. Obsession with work falls into that. Disappearing in the internet falls into that. You know? There's many different ways that we can do the same thing, which is not to be here now, which is that there's something that is paining, that's hurting, that's tender, that is calling for attention, that's asking to be met, received. And we don't want to go there because it hurts. there's two kinds of suffering. And one kind of suffering is the suffering that leads to more suffering. And one kind of suffering is the suffering that leads to an end of suffering. And when we're able to touch the pain of having just gone through one whole cycle and meet it with compassion, meet it with courage, The courage of willingness to stay present with things as they are. Then when we are able to do that, we change it from a suffering that causes more suffering to a suffering that causes the end of suffering. We are no longer in the same cycle. We are moving out. And the way of moving out is to move in, is to touch it, to know it, to be responsive to it. And through that, to see the different conditions that have arisen, that have given rise to this cycle which is not about me being useless and basically a scumbag with a thin veneer of something that passes occasionally as wholesome. (laughs) It's about really touching something much deeper than that and allowing it to shift. Now this choice is a choice that we have all the time until we start making choices where we no longer have the choice. And so with too much alcohol in the system, with too much drugs in the system, with allowing the mind to spin out to a certain level beyond a certain point, one has made the choice which makes it very difficult to continue having choice. But... Until one has done that, there is always the choice. At every juncture where there's any kind of flavor or experience of sadness or sorrow or grief or pain or depression or loneliness or emptiness or longing or wanting things to be other than the way they are, there's always a choice of moving towards the patterns which cause our addictive behaviors to get activated, our depression to become activated, our withdrawal to become activated, our disappearance into absolute nothingness to become activated, or the gathering in of resource and intention and courage and compassion to touch it. To meet it, to receive it. I mean, people look at me and they have all kinds of ideas and fantasies about what my life is like and how I am and all the rest of that. And sometimes people say, "You look so happy." you know, depending on the situation and my mood and how flippant I want to be. depends on how I respond. But sometimes what I say when people say to me that is, yes, I know how to suffer well. (laughs) (laughs) Our pain our access to our depth. And as we access our depth, we have access to joy. And yet, We have to be very skillful sometimes with how we meet this stuff because sometimes it's very deep. And so the whole understanding about what is the right way of contemplating becomes very contextualized with the different kinds of suffering that we're having to navigate. Somebody sent me a link and I put it on the Facebook and I was intrigued that there was such a lot of comments about it. And it had to do with the ways in which meditation can be harmful. Did anybody see that link? Eric did. Yeah. So it's on the Awakening Truth Facebook site and I think I also posted it on the Against the Stream site. Somebody was doing a PhD dissertation defense around um, trauma and meditation. And talking about with trauma, there are ways in which meditation can be absolutely contraindicated. Because to put a person into a silent space without any contact with another person, you know, to ask them to be still and to focus intensely on the pain is the wrong thing. It's absolutely not what's needed. What's needed is to know how to touch the pain and move away from the pain and to do that in something which is incredibly safe and very connected to somebody who's warm and friendly and holding and helping. Because with trauma, we don't want to go skydiving into the stuff that's been stuck in our systems. You know, we need harnesses and safety ropes and reverse gear and something that is loving that holds us. And so it's been my interest for a long time now to see if there's ways in which I can help support communities to begin to locate what's the kind of stuff that needs particular holding and what's the kind of stuff that actually responds really well to silence and (coughs) prolonged investigation by oneself. Because... If one is not careful and is trying to use the idea about the more that one meditates, the better one is, and the better that is one's going to be able to transform, then sometimes one is exacerbating or compounding something that really needs a different approach. So there needs to be a certain amount of skill and discernment. And it isn't a one-size-fits-all And what's needed is really a compassionate response to what's arising. Rather than a kind of, well, it hurts, so therefore I have to shut myself in my room by myself for X amount of hours until it shifts. You know? Sometimes that's not what we need. So in this group, I have told before, but I don't know how many of you have heard me say that, you know, sometimes I've experienced myself being knocked by something and I regress into a very, very early age. Now, if I hold the image of the fact that I am an adult, now I'm 50, I'm 50 years old. Can you imagine? So I have an adult body, and if I hold the image that that is the way that I'm supposed to be, and I'm dealing with something that is actually quite young that's emerging, and I don't respond to that in an age-appropriate way, it can take weeks to sort itself out. I mean, unbelievable mates of time. But if the wisdom faculty can recognize that something got triggered and is very young and relate to that in an age-appropriate fashion, then it can be just a question of minutes before things shift and I'm clear about what's happening and can able to process it. So with a very, very young child. You don't put them in a room by themselves and tell them to figure it out. You know, they need symbols. They need nature. They need hand-holding and cuddles and affirmation and encouragement and a lot of warmth. And when I am also exhibiting or experiencing those very things that I need to learn or have learned how to be holding both the wisdom component which is able to see and direct and acknowledge this young tender element or part of myself which is needing to be gathered in and cared for and go talk to the flowers and the bunnies and talk about it in terms like that rather than in big languages and big words and try and get too fancy. You know? And the faster I have been able to locate... Things like that happening and respond appropriately, then the quicker it shifts, and I am able to process what's happening in the age, body, mind, or whatever that I'm dealing with. I mean, normally I don't relate to myself as having an age, you know. But it's when we have an idea about how things are and therefore how we are supposed to relate to it that we get all jumbled up and twisted up into a pretzel and it can take ages to sort out. Now, this itself is quite a skill to be able to hold both of those things. I'm not saying that this is beginner, you know, fresh off the mat kind of first week meditator kind of stuff. It's taken a long time. But... I was motivated to do it because the suffering that I was experiencing was not responding to just observing what was happening, which is what we do in meditation, and not interacting with it. So for me, the suffering allowed me to explore skills and tools and resources which were beyond the immediate scope Of the Vipassana meditation model, which is just watching things and not believing the story around it. For me, my interest is waking up out of suffering. That's my interest. And at a certain point, I realized that there are other tools that I needed as well to augment and support my journey. that ability to have many different tools in my toolbox has meant that when I come to this juncture of choosing suffering or the end of suffering I feel more resourced to continue to choose non-suffering I've suffered enough we've all suffered enough maybe you haven't maybe you haven't suffered enough maybe you need to suffer a lot more <laughs> so the buddha taught suffering and the many different ways that we can experience it we can experience it in our bodies we can experience it in getting older we can experience it in sickness. We can experience it in the process of dying. We can experience it in change. We can experience it in things that we think ourselves to be and realizing that's not what we are. You know, I come back and my parents, both of my parents are in their 80s. And my mother, you know, my mom is a totally amazing person. You know, we've been camping every year, you know. And she doesn't sleep on a cot. She sleeps on the ground in a sleeping bag in the tent and loves it, you know. And this year there's stuff going on with her system, and she's just absolutely distraught, you know. Her body is getting older, and things are not working the same way, you know. And my dad, he's had, I think, eight trips to the hospital in a six-week period of time, you know. And it's just really hard for both of them. It's just really scary, you know, navigating this stuff. And yet, this is what happens. You know, our bodies get older and they break apart. Yesterday, somebody came and offered the meal. He's got walking pneumonia. You know, he's in his 40s. You know, he was so sick, it was really hard for him to walk. When he first came, it was hard for him to breathe and talk. You know, and it's so deeply disappointing when our bodies get sick, and yet that's it's not our fault, it's not that something has gone wrong, that's that sometimes that's what happens, you know. So there's suffering, you know, there is suffering in this world, but suffering is not the absolute reality, suffering is the stuff that arises that we have to work with, and the opposite. Opportunity is to use it to realize the end of suffering and when some stuff lands really deeply cuts to the marrow it takes a lot to get underneath that stuff and let it settle out you know I remember <clears throat> there were some things that happened in the monastery that were deeply disappointing to me deeply, deeply disappointing to me. And it was like, you know, for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, I was still circling about this story of what had happened and how terribly disappointing it was and how, you know, <coughs> the lack of trust that I felt and all of these things. And, you know, I tried meta, I tried looking at it, I tried all this stuff, I tried all my magic wands and it wouldn't go away. And then I think after six years or seven years or I don't know how many years, and it was still looping, I realized that that actually was not the problem. The problem was this looked a lot like something else that was actually deeper and bigger and something I had never attended to. And when I was able to meet that and touch that, release that, then this one that had looped for so many years evaporated because it was a trigger. It actually was not a cause. So for me to know myself well enough to be able to differentiate what's a trigger and what's a cause and to meet each as it arises with the right compassionate response has been the work of my meditation. So I take a lot of pressure when people look at me and say, you know, with this kind of plastic smile on a face you look so happy to say, yes, I suffer well. I have suffered a lot you know, I've cried a lot and yet that has never been something that has taken me away from my deepest longing and aspiration which is to wake up out of pain and out of suffering and then to use everything that I have learned to support others who I have contact with Those are my PhDs. My pools of tears are my PhDs. Because somehow there was the willingness to meet them and to allow the meeting to be something that would transform me and transform it. And that has been my experience. There isn't anything that I have been through that hasn't somehow yielded tremendous fruit and blessing. I've been through a lot. I can imagine we all have, actually. I don't know anybody (coughs) who's got easy on their ticket from word go until now you know but the difference is, is is that what happens to us when we have that and how we respond and what choices we continue to make and so certainly seeing the eightfold path as bringing together the supportive conditions to continue to make the choice to use whatever is arising to realize the end of suffering very important. And what i see more and more in our contemporary society is the kind of centerpiece of that eightfold path is the web of connections that we feel in community with like-minded people. That's where we get our strength when we don't feel it ourselves. That's how we can continue when we don't see that we have choice. So, when I speak, I speak from my own experience... And my intention is to speak in a way that supports your own furthering, your own awakening, your own investigation, your own inquiry. My request is is that you don't believe a word that I say, but you use what I offer for your own contemplation, investigation, and see what resonates see how it lands with you, how it's relevant or not relevant, and from your own sense of feeling the rightness of something to continue exploring and investigating what that looks like for you in your life and how that works. So I would be interested to change the format now and stop talking and open this up and see, you know, I put forward a lot of different things. You know, how does that fit for you or feel for you or resonate with you? What's alive for you? How are you working with this stuff? Where do you get knocked out of balance and where is it clear? Where do you give up your choice? And where do you keep it no matter what? So let's stop there. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.